Hello everyone, this is Jack with the Book Club from Hell, an underground movement of manifesto connoisseurs. The more discerning among you might have noticed a slight change in our intro music this episode. That's because the band Masticate was kind enough to write and record a metal version of it for us. More on Masticate later. This week's episode is on Filippo Tommaso Marinetti's Futurist Manifesto, first published in 1909. In it, Marinetti traced the outlines of a new artistic movement, Futurism, a movement that Marinetti hoped would shake Italy out of its artistic and industrial torpor, with peons to violence, an obsession with speed, cars, planes, a rejection of the past, and contempt for women. Marinetti fought in the First World War for Italy, and, afterwards, was an early participant in Mussolini's Italian Fascies of Combat, with Marinetti trying to steer Italian fascism in a futurist direction, attempting to make futurism the official state artistic movement of Italy, although this was unsuccessful. Because of Marinetti's rejection of basically everything from the past, he clashed with the fascists, and futurist art was eventually labelled as degenerate and fell out of favour in fascist Italy. Before we start, I've got some shilling to do. First up is that the band Masticate from Sweden are releasing a re-recorded version of their song Broodfather on November 19th. They're a great band. Masticate's details will be in the show notes for anyone interested. I recommend you check them out. Secondly, I've written and published a novel called Tower, it's a surreal science fiction fever dream about the medical treatment of souls, the march of techniques, and an ever-growing tower absorbing the world around it. It's available on Amazon and Apple Books, links in the show notes. One final thing to note, for life reasons, there won't be a new episode next week. We're both sorry about this, and we'll have a new episode to go the week after next. So, if you're ready to go fast, then listen on. Enjoy. You like fast cars, right? Zoom, zoom. I love fast cars. Vroom, I love vroom. factories. I love electric streetlights. Just so <laughs> Especially good. Especially electric streetlights. <laughs> Just industrial noises in general. Just harsh noise. That's the sound and of youth. futurism. That's definitely a recurring theme on this show is how much people like youth. We haven't read anybody yet who's just proactively like, yeah, how good would a gerontocracy be? <laughs> <laughs> and yet that's kind of our system of government. <laughs> <laughs> the at least implicit guiding philosophy of it, of the Western system of government, at least, seems just to be baby boomers to seems to be step how aside. do we funnel <laughs> as much money from young people to old people as we possibly can, and there is no foreign war that we will not undertake to achieve this goal. <laughs> so I guess. You can have the futurists writing about how much they love youth or Yukio Mishima talking about how much he loves youth. But in actuality, we've we've got the opposite, at least in terms of enacted philosophy. Yeah, I suppose these guys are just reactionaries then, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're reacting against the, the inexorable yeah. trend of progress, of BAP. more and more money going towards the old. BAP, um, now... Um, Marionetti, Marionetti, and who else? Yeah, Mishima. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody gets around youth. They get around it aesthetically, but then when the rubber hits the road, we just want we want bigger retirement payments. <laughs> it's all about pensions. Pensions are what really get people going. None of this futurist stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's what really gets me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> it's a nice, <laughs> nice pension. <laughs> Can't wait for 30% of what I earn to go to pensions. <laughs> You'll get there one day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll be all about pensions. <laughs> so we've got the Futurist Manifesto by Filippo 
Tommaso Marinetti. Marinetti. I probably. Marinetti. So yeah, well, I was about to say there's probably a better Italian way to say it, but you, you beat me to it. Yeah. <laughs> Marinetti. How, how hard do the Italians roll, roll their R's? Yeah, we both speak Italian flawlessly. I don't know. Yeah, so this is. This was inspired by the Futurist Manifesto, or the Eonic Futurist Manifesto. A little-known fact, the Futurist Manifesto, which was first published in 1909, was so far ahead of its time, it was so future-oriented, that it was actually inspired by the Eonic Futurist Manifesto, which was, I forget when exactly, published after the year 2000. Yeah. They actually foresaw it, were inspired by it, and then brought that back to Milan and wrote this in 1912 <laughs> on the basis yeah. on the basis of the shitty MS Paint like black suns stuck onto hot Aryan babe pictures. Uh, the yeah, presumably because Marinetti was like driving around his in his DeLorean in in 1912 <laughs> Milan. <laughs> yeah, so this is a this is a remarkably um, future oriented work. I found it. This is an interesting one because we haven't, we've covered things that talk about art. For example, Sun and Steel, Mishima talks about art quite a lot and what, at least in his opinion, Mike Ma. constitutes good art. Mike, Mike Ma, Ma yeah, kind of rambles about it. He's a soft heart. Soft kind <laughs> heart. Yeah, he talks about what goes into making good Vine video. Whereas this book is, or book, this manifesto is very, very explicitly at least in the negative about what constitutes good art or desirable art in future manifestos, because one of the, the biggest areas of production of futurism was in making new manifestos. They, they wrote a lot of manifestos. <laughs> yeah, they wrote heaps manifestos. <laughs> so many manifestos. Really, the future is going to be about manifestos. <laughs> yeah. In a, a subsequent manifesto, they, they gave more positive features of what futurist art should be in that it should capture motion particularly. You know, they, they, I think they talk about how on the retina... Dynamism. Because, yeah, because, <laughs> because objects are continuously in motion. So a, a running horse doesn't have four legs. It, in fact, has 20 legs, at least in the way that it appears to a person, and so their art is trying to reflect <laughs> that. In this manifesto... They don't offer the, these positive aspects, really, of what the art should be, not concretely. Instead, they more say that it's not going to be beholden to the past. It has, I guess, contempt for women. Oh, no, for woman. It's singular in this. They say that it should have contempt for woman. Um, I suppose that's a positive feature of art. They are saying what it should be rather than what it shouldn't be. But we'll read through a lot of aspects of this manifesto to give people an idea of the things that they're really demanding. I quite yeah, like, like the structure of it in that it begins with, uh, it's, not, it's not poetry, it's very dreamy prose, dreamlike prose for about a pay, an A4 page. Then they've got some bullet points about what they more concretely want as futurists and then another little bit afterwards of more prose. I quite like yeah, it's that. It's like um, a dreamy retelling of him crashing his car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there, there was an episode in in Marinetti's life, which is reflected in this manifesto, where he did cra He swerved to avoid a cyclist when he was driving and crashed into a ditch. 
And at least, so he says in this manifesto, he emerged from this ditch a new man, a changed man. By his, Can I read his that? encounter with speed and death. Can I read that end of that bit? Yeah. I yeah. really like the last couple of paragraphs. And by the way, this is literally only like a few pages. Like, yeah, this is like <laughs> three, four pages we'll long. Significant chunks of it proportionally. Um, death, death, tamed, went in front of me at each corner, offering me his, his hand nicely and sometimes lay on the ground with a noise of creaking jaws, giving me velvet glances from the bottom of puddles. Quote, let us leave good sense behind like a hideous husk and let us hurl ourselves like, like fruit spiced with pride into the immense mouth and breast of the world. Let us feed the unknown, not from despair, but simply to enrich the unfathomable reservoirs of the absurd. As soon as I had said these words, I turned sharply back on my tracks with the mad intoxication of puppies biting their tails. And suddenly there were two cyclists. Bloody cyclists. We get them in Melbourne, man. Bloody cyclists. They've just been Disappro- causing problems for drivers. Even even in 1908, what was it? Probably 1908 19- or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were these two bloody cyclists <laughs> disapproving <laughs> of me. That's in the text. These two bloody cyclists disapproving of me and tottering in front of me like two persuasive but contradictory reasons. Their stupid swaying got in my way. What a bore. Pwah. I stopped short and in disgust hurled myself, hurled, hurled myself flan head over heels in a ditch. Oh, maternal ditch. Half <laughs> full of muddy water. A factory gutter, I savoured a mouthful of strengthening muck, which recalled the black teat of my Sudanese nurse. As I raised my body, mud spattered and smelly, I felt the red hot poker of joy deliciously pierce my heart. A crowd of fishermen and gouty naturalists crowded terrified around this marvel. With patient and tentative care, they raised high enormous grappling irons to fish up my car like a vast shark that had run aground. It rose slowly, leaving in the ditch like scales, its heavy coachwork of good sense and its upholstery of comfort. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> I do like that. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. So oh, go on, go on. We thought it was dead, my good shark, but I woke it with a single caress of its powerful back and it was revived, running as fast as it could on its fins. Yes, yeah, I should have stopped there. That's so good. <laughs> he loved his fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe we should say actually what a little bit about Marinetti's life and what futurism was because it's an interesting movement. It's very, very early 20th century, very powerful early 20th century energy, particularly and I'm sure this will delight some listeners of the podcast because there's just an unlimited appetite for things relating to fascism, particularly when Marinetti got into fascism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess, like, when was um, the automobile invented? Like, the late 19th century? Yeah, probably something like that. Like, Ford was doing stuff in the late 19th. I assume. I don't know anything about the history of automobiles. <laughs> That's so, my random guess. <laughs> 1886, Carl Bentz. Applied for a patent for his vehicle powered by a gas engine. Okay, so eighteen eighty six. So yeah, cool. So cars would have been like pretty cool. Like if you had a car and you were going more than like forty kilometers an hour or something, you're probably (laughs) a speed demon back then. Yeah. (laughs) Like how fast can a horse go? Horse can go pretty fast. Pretty fast. It always feels much. Faster and much more precarious when you're on like a large 
animal with its own mind rather than <laughs> enclosed in a car. <laughs> so I, I think like it's kind of interesting because they um you know we, these days where you can get in a something like a Tesla and it's like zero to hundred kilometers an hour um in what like less than three seconds or something and it feels like a goddamn just if there's like no there's no shift shifts of shifting of the gears it's just like straight power mm. <laughs> and acceleration pure acceleration so i think we can get that same high as marinetti got <laughs> back then it's just <laughs> our standards have changed yeah yeah a little bit about marinetti he was a he was a pretty weird dude as is expected for basically everyone who's covered on this podcast he was born Emilio Angelo Carlo Marinetti, or in some documents, Filippo Achille Emilio Marinetti, in Alexandria in Egypt to Italian parents. And his his um his mum and dad moved to Alexandria in 1865 on the invitation of the Egyptian viceroy to act as legal advisors for foreign companies as part of the Egyptian government's modernization program. And Filippo Marinetti showed early interest in poetry and literature and at at school started a school magazine. He was almost kicked out of school for distributing Zola's novels, I think. I think they were seen as obscene. And he went to high school in Egypt and Paris, graduated from law school at the University of Pavia in Italy in 1899 and decided against being a lawyer. So he was he was originally going to be a lawyer, but decided to pursue a literary career. And around the time he graduated, is he like from your school, Italian spirit brother? <laughs> you found your you know, leave your nice professional career, become a weirdo, <laughs> literary yeah, exactly. poet person. <laughs> I'm going to publish the second, or no, the third Futurist Manifesto because we've got the Futurist Manifesto. The Ionic Futurist Manifesto, and then whatever I come up with in the next few years. You need like a manifesto that extends Tower, that extends the principles of Tower. We yeah. need to like <laughs> manifest a corporation in the physical body of a Tower. The Objectified <laughs> Futurist Manifesto. Turn into like a plank. <laughs> Jack Jack turns into a plank. If people haven't read Tower, which oh, actually no, by the time this is released. Tower also will be released. So I, I expect everyone listening has already finished Tower, has bought several copies of Tower and has finished them, finished each one individually. <laughs> and you'll know you'll what understand all is. of our all of our in jokes about Tower uh, mm. from now on. Otherwise, like half our show is not going to make any sense anymore. About <laughs> turning into a window pane and finding <laughs> transcendent meaning. It's a window pane. I wonder what I wonder what inan- inanimate object I would turn into. I think maybe it's a pair of sneakers or something, something lame like that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so that that is going to be. I'm going to write the third futurist manifesto. The future keeps coming, and so it keeps needing new manifestos. That's the problem <laughs> with the future. I'll, I'll write the future-proofed futurist manifesto, and that'll be the last word in futurism. <laughs> Do you want to read out the actual manifesto part? Yeah. Um, I just want to actually one thing that I just don't understand why he did this. So. <laughs> Marinetti wasn't born Filippo Tommaso Marinetti, but at around the time he graduated from law school, he just started signing stuff with that name. He had like an identity crisis or something. Yeah, so maybe I'll need to change my name to something new like John. I'll be yeah. John. Be Jono. 
Jono. Yeah. Legally, Jono. <laughs> Not even. I didn't even know if he legally changed his name. He just started signing stuff like that. <laughs> Maybe before we read stuff, though, just a little bit more about Marinetti's life because it does contextualize this. Because it, so the Futurist Manifesto yeah, and was we need to stretch in, out this episode. So. <laughs> yeah, it was written in 1908, published in 1909. It was first published as the preface of an edition of an, an edition of um. Marinetti's poems, and it was then published in an Italian newspaper, I think in Bologna, and then published in Paris, I think it was in, um, yeah, Le Figaro. And it was at a time when th- there was really rapid change in industrial technology and mechanical technology. Like the car had been invented and was beginning to be produced at a larger scale. There were aeroplanes. The First World War was was nearby, and Marinetti did go to fight in that. He he and a bunch of other futurists fought in a bicycle warfare division in the mountains. That's so ridiculous! And That's it was so disbanded ridiculous. pretty quickly because they decided <laughs> that completely like, ineffective. <laughs> a bicycle division, especially in the mountains, is not all that effective. <laughs> These guys sound like a bunch of wackos. <laughs> yeah. So I think after that, Marinetti fought in a an, an artillery division and he got injured really really badly doing that a few of the other futurists died as well i think boccioni got he got killed um in combat so umberto boccioni was another one of the very very prominent futurists i really liked umberto boccioni's uh his sculptures yeah. are really cool yeah the the futurists the sculptures and the paintings severini's paintings too are really really cool they've got some really cool yeah. paintings yeah. Like, this is not like this isn't like the Ionic Futurist Manifesto where it's just funny. Like this has <laughs> no. this is a very extreme view of the world, but I they actually did produce really really interesting art, and like clearly like then went on to influence like Dada and and stuff, right? And even probably some other things. You can see it's early early stuff. Yeah, they were at an interesting time. It's pre First World War when they. The avant-garde in European art was really, really pushing towards further abstraction. After the after the First World War, the artistic world seemed to recoil to quite a large extent from that abstraction after the horrors of the war and tried to take for more inspiration from classical art. But yeah, the futurists arose at this time when art was 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 getting more and more abstract. They also sort of prefigure the First World War and that in this manifesto, as you'll hear when we read out parts of it, they love youth, violence, speed, mechanisation. So I can only assume that they loved mechanised trench warfare in the First World War. They love nationalism too. Yeah, so those things also. Marinetti <laughs> wrote extensively in yeah. favour of um, Italy uh, joining the First World War, not being neutral anymore, like declaring war on the Austro-Hungarian Empire. There was a stunt, I think, I think it was at a theatre where Boccioni like cut up a um an Austrian flag and like threw it into the audience while while um <laughs> Marinetti was waving an Italian flag. Edgelords. Edge Lords. <laughs> yeah. They sound like a bunch of scallywags. <laughs> I think intentionally futurism Probably the, the biggest component of futurism is just this complete rejection of the past. 
of saying that the past is, particularly in the context of Italy, a dead weight holding Italy back from modernising to the same extent as some of the other countries in Europe, like Germany, for example, or the United Kingdom. Yeah, even um, Marinetti, uh, I read that he um, fall out of, fell out of favour with the fascist regime. Yeah. Um, because he was, uh, even though his work maybe inspired part of the fascist manifesto um, by Mussolini, that actually he didn't like them because they were, they were, they started borrowing too much like iconography and stuff from Rome and like yeah. becoming like yeah. too, too interested in being like the past. <laughs> yeah. His, his relationship with the fascists was pretty mixed. So initially, Initially, he he quite liked them. Like, he founded the Futurist Political Party in 1918. And the following year, this party merged with Mussolini's Italian Fascists of Combat. And so Marinetti was one of the first affiliates of the Italian Fascist Party. He did oppose fascism's promotion of existing institutions because Marinetti just didn't really trust anything that came from the past. And (laughs) in 19... There was the 1920 Fascist Party Congress and Marinetti withdrew from the Congress in opposition to a reactionary embrace of the past. (laughs) Um, And he remained out of politics for three years. At least he he was was, consistent. Yeah, he, (laughs) he was consistent when he was younger. So during fascist rule of Italy, Marinetti sought to make, make futurism the official art of Italy. Mussolini apparently just wasn't that interested in art. So he, like distributed money to a bunch of different artistic movements. Yeah. <laughs> How do you make it a particular art movement, like the official art of a country? That'd well, be if interesting. You've got, if you've got a total state. If, yeah, then- if you've got a total state. Imagine that. Imagine if he was successful in like when you went to Italy these days, there's just like a whole bunch of, like every house had futurist art or something. That'd be weird. You just have to get on the taxpayer titty. You, you need to be the, the one piglet. The one artistic <laughs> movement, <laughs> getting those taxpayer dollars, <laughs> or yeah, whatever they had in Italy at the time. Dollars. Everyone has had dollars forever. Dollars have, only, have been, been the only Eternal. currency forever. Eternal. Romans, dollars. <laughs> Han Dynasty, dollars. <laughs> Cavemen, dollars. But yeah, it. What you were saying before too about um how mixed Marinetti's relationship with the fascist was as, as fascist rule in Italy continued. There was more and more influence from Nazi Germany on Italian fascist policy. And so through most of the 1930s, modern art was tolerated in Italy. By the end of the 30s, though, certain Italian fascists were trying to import the idea of degenerate art from Nazi Germany. And Hitler apparently wanted to include futurism in a travelling exhibition of degenerate art. And he wanted to bring that (laughs) travelling exhibition into Italy. And Marinetti successfully lobbied to have it not allowed into Italy because he, um, he wanted to maintain futurism's reputation among the fascists. That's so weird. What a strange history. And, yeah, Mar- Marinetti fought. He made a lot of concept. You know, it, what were initially perhaps not concessions, depending on how anti-Semitic he was, later significant philosophical concessions to the fascist regime to keep futurism in favour. So in 1938, the racial laws were passed in Italy, which discriminated against Italian Jews. Anti-Semitism in Italy attacked modern art as foreign anti-nationalist, somehow connected with Jews. And 
on the basis of this, the Italian state shut down futurist journals, started persecuting futurist artists, despite Marinetti's protests, that futurism was Italian, it was nationalists, nationalists, there were no Jews in futurism. And Marinetti kept trying to ingratiate himself with the fascists and became less and less and less radical as he did so. Like He just kept watering down the futurism to try to find favour. He did. He toned down the hatred of everything from the past as it just got politically more and more difficult to do so. Man, he was really committed to just like pushing out futurism, even if he watered it down. He just didn't let that, didn't let that go, did he? <laughs> he was a big fan. <laughs> yeah. I should also say, actually, the futurist movement itself was, it covered basically every form of artistic output. So Marinetti was, was mostly a poet. That's what he's best known as. Particularly his sound poems. I think he's, he's got one which was based on um, his time as a war correspondent in the Italo-Turkish War. Yeah, so he's got the sound poem Zang Tum Tum, which is based on the success of Bulgarian troops against Turkish troops in the siege of Andri- Adrianople. And a sound poem is, it's kind of what it sounds like. It's, so Marinetti felt constrained by syntax in poetry, so began writing sound poems, which is just like, they're, they're not necessarily words. They're just spelled out sounds that, that don't have an agreed upon meaning. I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and there, there were futurist sculptors, futurist painters. Marinetti wrote a futurist cookbook, which... I truly don't know if it's satire or not. It's really, really <laughs> hard to tell. But either way, it's great. So if it's satire, it's really funny. If it's not satire, it's really funny. It's the, the Manifesto of Futurist Cooking, 1930. But it drew, drew a link between how people eat and how they behave, which is not, not unreasonable. But <laughs> to promote futurist and fascist ideals, the Italian people needed to have a futurist and fascist compatible diet, one which excluded, for example, pasta, which is something that promotes lassitude, pessimism, and lack of virility. He also wanted to get rid of all foreign foods and foreign food names. And then this is where the future part comes in. Plastic complexes would be used to replace foods, and all nutrition would come in either pills, if you were just if you're on the go, if you're wanting to be optimized. If you're wanting to be artistic, you could use these plastic complexes to make artistic foods. When I say artistic, it's of course an art which expresses Italian nationalism and fascism and a contempt for the past. So you're not going to get like the Mona Lisa sorbet or something like that. It's, it's got to be future oriented. But yeah, <laughs> the, the movement came out with some really funny stuff. I want to I read his cookbook. <laughs> I tried to. Sounds, yeah, sounds I could good. only find on excerpts. You can buy it. I just I was wanting to find buy the futurist cookbook. <laughs> I was wanting to find it for free so I could flick through it for this episode, but I I'll probably end up buying it because it's just such a funny idea. It's very strong concept. The elimination of pasta for the purposes of achieving futurist virility. <laughs> but how about we read sections of this cuz it's really short. I'll read a little bit of the the introductory prose. Which you'd, you've read 
quite a bit already about how he crashed his car and him complaining about cyclists. Which, as an aside, I really enjoy that a significant component of this, or at least of the, the foundational myth of futurism, is Marinetti complaining about cyclists as a driver. <laughs> it's been with them. It's been with Futurism lives on today. It's the eternal war <laughs> between cyclists Yeah, when you're a cyclist, drivers. you fucking hate drivers. And when you're driving, cyclists are such a pain in the ass. <laughs> but yeah, the, the manifesto begins with prose somewhat situating it and the prose leads up to a series of how many points 11 points and we can read through each point i'll I'll read a few paragraphs from the the beginning we have been up all night my friends and i beneath mosque lamps whose brass couplers are bright as our souls because like them they were illuminated by the internal glow of electric hearts and trampling underfoot our native sloth on opulent persian carpets we have been discussing right up to the limits of logic and scrawling the paper with demented writing. Our hearts were filled with an immense pride at feeling ourselves standing quite alone, like lighthouses or like the sentinels in an outpost, facing the army of enemy stars encamped in their celestial bivouacs. Alone with the engineers in the infernal stokeholes of great ships, alone with the black spirits which rage in the belly of rogue locomotives, alone with the drunkards, beating their wings against the walls. Then we were suddenly distracted by the rumbling of huge double-decker trams that went leaping by, streaked with light like the villagers celebrating their festivals, which the Po in flood suddenly knocks down and uproots, and, in the rapids and eddies of a deluge, drags down into the sea. Then the silence increased. As we listened to the last faint prayer of the old canal and the crumbling of the bones of the moribund palaces with their green growth of beard, suddenly the hungry automobiles roared beneath our windows. Come, my friends, I said, let us go. At last mythology and the mystic cult of the ideal have been left behind. We are going to be present at the birth of the centaur and we shall soon see the first angels fly. We must break down the gates of life to test the bolts and the padlocks. Let us go. Here is they. Here is the very first sunrise on earth. Nothing equals the splendor of its red sword, which strikes for the first time in our millennial darkness. And it, it continues on like that. The, these themes of the old world being, being decrepit, it decaying, and it being smashed to pieces by particularly automobiles, because they just they love fast cars. They're just typical Italians, aren't they? They can't help themselves. They so love good. fast cars. So good. They love noisy machinery. And it's going to destroy the old world. And this, this section culminates in what Levi read out before about how he crashed into a ditch and then emerged from the, the maternal ditch, a new man. Then you've, you've got the, um, the manifesto of futurism, these 14 points. Do you want to read out... Do you want to just alternate reading out points? We can comment on them. Yeah, should we have a race to see how fast we can read them? Oh, yeah, that'd be really good. That'd be so futurist. (laughs) And then just make Chuck and Eric a blam. (laughs) Yeah, I could could improv a sound poem while you try to read out the manifesto as As quickly quickly as as I can. All right. (laughs) Let's see. And if it's completely completely terrible, we could just cut it out. (laughs) No, how about we just read it like like past loving horrible people? (laughs) Keep this intelligible. 
All right, kick us off. Point one. We want to sing the love of danger, the habit of energy and rashness. Two. Okay. The essential elements of our poetry will be courage, audacity, and revolt. So it's quite funny reading this after having read the Ionic Futurist Manifesto, which reheats a few of these things just in a much shitter form. <laughs> really shitty the, form. <laughs> the, pro- the problem is it's like the specter of that shitty form haunts my reading of this. <laughs> <laughs> the well has been poisoned for the past. You know, that's kind of good though, right? That's ke- with, in keeping with futurism. I mean, this text is of the past from our point of view. This is of the past. Yeah. And so the, we, yeah, it has been trashed by something of the future. So that, yeah, <laughs> futurism is alive and well. How do you keep a future? Shouldn't you really just have like a single futurist manifesto that never really gets published, but it's always just kept in a work in process, progress state, just somewhere in like a... Just like on the web or something. There's always what about with ChatGPT? You can just get it to auto-generate new text based on yeah, based on this manifesto all the time. So you've just got a constantly updated one. Yeah, and it should just filter in like new news as like things happen in the world. Yeah, that would be really really good if you be futurist. <laughs> just have an ever-present futurist manifesto. <laughs> what I feel like this this manifesto really needs, or what just anything needs more of is just more 24-hour political coverage. That would that improves <laughs> almost anything. I, like I can't think a of a single thing in life of, that's of not improved by 24-hour news coverage. Because <laughs> otherwise the problem is that anytime you write a manifesto or create a piece of art under futurism, the moment that you actually publish something concretely, say like this is done, it's now in the past, and it's not of the future. Yeah, well, that's why I'm all about perennialism. <laughs> Evelyn never had this problem because he just said, look, there's the world of being and it's right and I'm, I'm writing something that reflects the world of being. And <laughs> I'm right. This because... never age, this never gets old. <laughs> it's eternal. It's always fresh. Yeah. Okay, point three. Literature has up to now magnified pensive immobility, ecstasy and slumber. We want to exalt movements of aggression, feverish sleeplessness, the double march, the perilous leap, the slap and the blow with the fist. So you can already see that he, they talk, he talks about what he doesn't want art to be, you know, some, something full of lassitude, something old, something beholden to the past. He talks about what he wants it to be, which is aggressive, fast, feverish, mobile. As I said earlier, in subsequent manifestos, particularly that mobile aspect will be emphasised. So futurist painting and sculpture will try to capture this sense of continuous movement of an object rather than stasis. Point four. We declare that the splendour of the world has been enriched by a new beauty, the beauty of speed. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <sighs> Probably exactly race- what he meant. Although this does have pretty strong amphet energy. So he might, he might yeah, be talking about it. It does, doesn't it? Um, when amphetamines. A racing automobile with its bonnet adorned with great tubes like serpents with explosive breath. A roaring motor car which seems to run on machine gun fire is more beautiful than the victory of Samothrace. Amphetamine first synthesized in 1887 in Germany. Yeah, these guys were so all smashing it for sure. This definitely might have been counter. smashing amphet. Nice. Yeah. I didn't know Germany gifted the world. <laughs> amphetamine makes makes sense though. Good on yeah, them, doesn't? 
Don't you reckon that like probably Hitler was just on like boatloads of amphetamines? I think it's been confirmed that he was yeah. <laughs> just blasted on amphetamine yeah, continuously. Was. Yeah, and I mean a lot of these. I yeah, wouldn't be surprised. There's definitely well, I th- we've commented on this in the um, Ionic Futurist Manifesto episode that there's a strong affinity between amphetamine energy and fascist energy, and I guess futurist energy, right? Like yeah, fascist yeah. futurists, they get around. Amphetamine. Amphetamines. Just grab, and, <laughs> grab an eight ball and I don't know, become a fascist. <laughs> <laughs> stylish, stylish fascist on, on amphetamines. It's really weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's a strange affinity. Mm. I wonder if this explains any of like the people on our Discord. <laughs> I think Terrence, Terrence McKenna was ridiculous a lot of the time, but I think his observation that there is a deep link between people's preferences for certain drugs and certain ideologies has a lot of truth to it. Yeah, I'm a really big fan of um, caffeine at the moment. Trying to Caffeine's pretty do my job, be like a a normal person. Exist in a dominator culture. Yeah, in our dominator culture. I'm trying not to like partake in like DMT on a regular basis at the moment. So I can't really (laughs) wean myself off that 5-MEO DMT <laughs> addiction that I had. <laughs> I've never tried 5-MEO and I'm not sure I want to. Screaming abyss addiction. <laughs> Isn't 5-MEO meant to be like DMT but with far fewer visuals and far more just absolute shattering of the ego? Yeah, apparently it's really scary. It doesn't sound fun. <laughs> I mean, like DMT well, someone put fun. it in front of me, I'd probably try it, but yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily be happy about it. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> but I'm kind of curious. It's like salvia. Yeah, curiosity destroyed your ego. Yeah. <laughs> it's shattered it into an infinite number of pieces. Into an infinite number of cats. Okay, point five. We want to sing the man at the wheel, the ideal axis of which crosses the earth, itself hurled along its orbit. I just love cars. But I guess so. Okay, so at the time this was written, though, cars were new. Cars were. Can you imagine? Yeah, because that well, there still would have been a lot of horses around too. Can you imagine? What would be like now? So we have cars. If some new form of transportation came about that was so much faster and cooler, and was like we're we're more used to in well, I guess not in humanity, but things being inorganic. Now, we're so much more used to machines than someone writing in 1908. Yeah, it would have been crazy. Yeah. It would have been crazy. Like, you have this motive entity that is not alive. That it goes is just, faster it's, than any it's animal. pure exter- externalized thought. Like, a group of humans just thought this thing up and then instantiated it in the world, and it's really fast, completely mechanical. It, that... That would have been crazy. You can see why they go wild or yeah, why he goes wild in this manifesto about cars. Planes were starting to be built then. So this would have been like um, like the first plane was built in 1903, like the first one that got it, the Wright, Wright Brothers first got off the ground mm. in 1903. So like all of this stuff and then machine guns were being built, like this stuff would have actually been fucking mind-blowing to people in the early 20th yeah, century. Yeah, because it – so in the, in the 2020s, Software and some aspects of computer hardware are areas which are moving very quickly. But 
or virtual reality stuff, like all the gaming stuff, yeah. like that stuff blows people's mind. Like I guess what we're having with those is what they were having with machines. It's what they were having with cars and stuff. Yeah, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it would have been wild. They would have been like, so holy I, f- far out. Wait, we can go that fast? <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, I can make jokes about you know, Marinetti going wild for Honda Civics or something like that. But <laughs> he lost in, his mind over a Prius. Lo- <laughs> <laughs> but it... Yeah, it is worth taking a step back and not being such a jerk and acknowledging that, yeah, he was living through a time where the, things like cars were new and just mind-blowing. I suppose that's one of the interesting and- things about reading the things that we've read over the last, well, I guess like since the beginning of the show, like around the early 20th century, including mm-hmm. like um, like Mine Were of Trouble. Mm-hmm younger this Mussolini like is getting a sense of like just how different the world was in what well, in these cases yeah. like especially Europe um in the early 20th century like it's it's almost like it's very difficult to even imagine what it would have been like because there's such radical changes in technology happening so quickly it would have been yeah I guess extremely like culturally disruptive or I suppose it was like we have a document yeah, manifesto right was. here yeah <laughs> The early 20th century does feel extremely modern whenever I, I read about it because it it's an interesting time. How Okay, so a lot of present political thought just kind of presumes that the future is going to look basically like now but a bit wealthier and with a bit more of whatever the, the speaker's preferred politics yeah, of course. <laughs> it's like, it's going to look more like the way that I want it to look. <laughs> yeah, but it's still almost all the time when you hear political forecasts about the future, it looks like now. It's yeah. either just with a bit of a garnish. It's like, oh, but it'll be more ecological or it will be more cosmopolitan or oh, it will be more nationalist. It will be more protectionist. Like there are, there are little garnishes on top, but it broadly looks like now. Whereas in the early 20th century, political thinkers were, invis- were looking at a future that just looked dramatically different. Most of those futures I don't like. I mean, I'm glad we don't live in a fascist world, but you actually had mainstream political parties in Europe that were fascist or that were monarchist or that were communist and were, were forecasting a future that just didn't look anything like the past that they'd lived through. Can I actually read out a quote from... I love this topic because I obviously like I like computers and stuff, so I think about the future mm. a lot. Um, but uh, one of my favorite quotes about this issue is um, from Arthur C. Clarke, a science fiction author. Mm-hmm. He has this. Um, uh, there was this show on BBC called Horizon, and he's talking about being a science fiction author, and he's trying to explain like the difficulty of being a science fiction author. Um, talking about the future. He says, trying to predict the, predict the future is a discouraging and hazardous occupation because uh, <clears throat> the prophet invariably falls between two stools. On the one hand, if his predictions sound at all reasonable, you can be quite sure that in the 20 or 50 years <clears throat> um, that progress of science and technology has made him seem ridiculously conservative. Yet on the other hand, if by some miracle a prophet could describe the future exactly as it was going to take place, his predictions would sound so absurd, so far-fetched, that everybody would love him, <clears throat> um, love to scorn him. 
<laughs> which I, I always found like, oh, yeah, that's a really good. Like if you're living in a, an open society with exponentially mm. changing um, technology, you that essentially obliterates like the ability to be taken seriously as a futurist if you're actually trying to make radical enough sounding predictions of the future. Which yeah. when you think from the early 20th century until say like the 1970s or something, so like from when Marinetti was writing to like mm. say, yeah, like, the 80s or something or like even just like from the publication of this manifesto like 1909 to 2009 it's crazy like it's he i don't think he would have been able to envisage the the way the world's changed mm-hmm. and if he did like jules verne maybe is like one of the only authors that like had, had a couple of like bangers where he made like some crazy predictions about what would happen okay so who, I, also, yeah, I think cyberpunk Chopek, people do, actually. do it pretty well as well <laughs> who? Chopek, who's that made some Karol Chopek is a czech author so he with his book Eruer um or play he came up with the word robot uh, th- that play particularly it's about like mechanized a mechanized workforce at least in part cool yeah he looks really like, I cool think he looks really interesting with with a lot of these few like forward looking authors Chopek. or artists like they'll almost never get everything right oftentimes they'll just get like this component and really really I nail a slither yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I, I want to read that book. That's really cool. Hey, should we get back to the Futurist Manifesto? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're talking about things around it. Yeah. Around it. Just that, that fundamental thing of how in the early 20th century people yeah. were seeing futures that were so different and expecting the future to be so different. Whereas even... Pretty amazing. Like, I just feel even in notionally revolutionary circles, so, for example, a lot of Marxist today who are notionally predicting a future that looks very different to now almost invariably their predictions of the future just look like a university campus it's it, there's just like no imagination with with political thought everybody's so, sitting yeah. around singing kumbaya fucking like not being productive and singing kumbaya or having like having lots of bread a worry worryingly excited view of of vengeful violence while also assuming that they're not going to be lined up by counter-revolutionaries and shot in the back of the head. Yeah. It's, it's always funny. You always think like, I think like, mm, for people who are really like pro like social justice and stuff, you seem to have real like resent, resentful sort of streak to you. <laughs> I, I think that's just a fundamental component of progressivism. <laughs> yeah, it makes me very suspicious. Yeah. But I, I do... Like bearing that in mind, the just the the mind blowing rate of change in terms of of techniques at the time of writing of the techniques. the futurist manifesto, techniques. and that that does help explain why Marinetti just keeps bringing up things like it's cars. It's kind of understandable that if airplanes, if somebody was absolutely to blow your fucking mind, particularly creative. Like this guy, this guy lived through the airplane being invented. Yeah, that would have been as, completely fucking crazy. Yeah, like late, not at this stage in futurism as much. They did talk about planes, but in later futurist works, they really focus on airplanes, which again, it's like you lived through a time when people could take metal, like dumb rocks that you dig out of the ground and melt. You can like take these things and put them together in a certain way that they fly. You can, you can jump in it and then like fly yeah, you across can go the, in it the Pacific Ocean or whatever. You can go to the United States. Um, yeah, I mean, totally insane. So it, it makes sense why this guy was just losing his shit. I was going to say like, I suppose if you're particularly, I want to say sensitive or at least like creative, 
person mm. living through this sort of revolutionary cultural, technological, social upheaval. Yeah, he, mm. he had, uh, I guess, a reaction that is kind of in keeping with that sort of um, personality composition. I'm not, not, not surprised. It's actually kind of cool. I'm glad that we have artists around who can like go crazy when shit happens <laughs> and don't take things for granted. Yeah. And as, like you said, as an object to, to focus on for art, these significant technological changes, it's a pretty cool subject. Yeah, and, and like, n- never-ending source of, like, creative um, inspiration or problems to, like, mm. chew on. I suppose this is why you've, you've had a – it's kind of like technology has been a big part of tower <laughs> your writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and while, you know, I, I wouldn't want to live in a futurist world because I think the past provides so much context for human beings to, to exist in. Like if you just keep yeah. ripping away that context, you're just completely disoriented. Yeah, that would be just unbelievably disorienting. And it's even all all of the technological innovations that that Marinetti loves, they take place within a cultural context, which is based on like at least some continuity between the past and now. <laughs> some continuity. It's not just pure novelty. <laughs> yeah. I don't think pure novelty is conducive to, to creating anything. I think it's only conducive to complete disorientation and stasis. There's a line from The Hitchhiker's Guide from the Galaxy, if I'm not mistaken, that's something along the lines of um, technology is... En- oh, no, was it, from, was it from the book or was it just... Was he just saying it? Um, I think he just said it outside the book. Um, the, uh, that technology is anything that was made after you were, like, 12. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's right. Like, kids come out, you know, like, for us, for example, like, we were born and it's just like, yeah, there's these fucking giant, like, aluminium, aluminium cylinders these flying, flying through the air. in the sky. At, like, hundreds of kilometers an hour. Yeah, that's something that just happens all the time. You know, I grew up in Sydney, like, it's planes flying overhead all the time. But, like, actually, that's insane. A hundred years ago, they would have been, like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just the idea that you could pay like, well, I was going to say 100 bucks. Qantas is increasing the airfares quite a bit. But if you fly you jet pay a star. few hundred bucks to fly to Adelaide <laughs> from Melbourne in, <laughs> in this speeding metal tube and it's just like completely pedestrian for us. I fucking love it. <laughs> I, lo- I love okay, that. Which- I love- I've been thinking a lot about human creativity recently. Mm, that's unusual. <laughs> and, Very unusual for you. And I just love that, like, humans are, like, these weird little animals that just can just freak out about things, you know, like, like Marionette mm. is just, like, he's just, like, going, like, what is this car thing? I'm just going to dedicate my life to writing poetry about these things. <laughs> Start an artistic movement and lobby my fascist dictator to just protect this art about this, about this machine. <laughs> 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 it's just like okay that's a bit strange but also that's like really interesting like notwithstanding all of my criticisms of like communism or like fascism or all the all the mm. other things I, I like disagree with or whatever like i do like that at least people are even creative enough and whatever to come up with all these interesting ideas like i think mm. it's just like an endless source of of um well, for us, it's an endless source of podcast content, so it's good. <laughs> good on them. That was like, that was the ultimate telos of all of these things, just to be fodder, fodder for the book, book club, club for hell. hell. Yeah. yeah. All right, point six. 
The poet must spend himself with warmth, glamour and prodigality to increase the enthusiastic fervour of the primordial elements. Okay. Like, it's, a, it's a bit hand-wavy, but sure. Like, yeah, throw yourself, throw yourself into your art. Go for it. Point seven. We've got some... <laughs> Shout out to Jamie. This is where it gets edgy. This, gets, this is where it gets edgy. Yeah. Beauty exists only in struggle. There is no masterpiece that has not an aggressive character. Poetry must be a violent assault on the forces of the unknown to force them to bow to bow before man. With this, I think within the historical context, it makes more sense in that the futurists were really, really reacting to what they regarded as passe art, so art that that depicted natural scenes, still lives, portraits, things like that, and which didn't which didn't embrace what they saw as the animating spirit of the age, of motion, of the machine, of speed, of change, of of continuous revolution. So while I don't think that beauty only exists in struggle, I think there can be beautiful things that are not merely not struggling, but struggling is just not something relevant to it. So, I don't know, like a waterfall. I don't think struggle is something you can really ascribe to inanimate objects, like to water or to rocks. Maybe it's just, you know, a, a matter of definition. But I can understand where, where he's coming from in saying that. Okay, eight. We are on the extreme promontory of the centuries. What is the use of looking behind at the moment when we must open the mysterious shutters of the impossible? Time and space died yesterday. We are already living in the absolute since we have already created eternal omnipresent speed. Yeah, more about <laughs> more about cars and aeroplanes <laughs> and eight balls. But it, it was like how as yeah, and eight balls too, most importantly. <laughs> so you've, you've with the eight ball you get the the phenomenology of speed. You can be you can be at at rest physically, but it feels like you're moving really quickly. But was, this is back to what you were saying before about how mind-blowing it must have been to, to live in a time when all of these kind of speed-giving machines were being invented and, and improved upon at a really rapid rate. Yeah, it's kind of a strange thing for an animal to do as well, isn't it? To just like strap some metal to itself <laughs> and like move faster. gun it down <laughs> as fast as they can. Like other animals probably wouldn't like it. <laughs> yeah. I think dogs right. seem to be the that's only why ones they don't have that cars. like cars. Right. That's why we move faster then. Yeah. That's why the that's why we're the fucking megalodon. <laughs> In some ways it reminds me of um it's not Sun and Steel, but of that that short story affixed to the end of Sun and Steel. Um, where Mishima talks about how he got flown in a fighter jet because he wanted to experience the absolute by breaking the sound barrier. And he just, he just really describes cool. like this metaphysical transition that he went through by going really fast in a plane. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's something very, very primitive, kind of juvenile, but something I also viscerally understand, just the excitement of going really fast really fast and then seeing what happens don't you think it's really interesting though like at some point our ancestors like everybody's ancestors would never have been able to have gone faster than how how fast they could run yeah like before animals and then that's probably why horses were such a big hit right <laughs> in certain yeah. parts of the world <laughs> because they fast. go really fast and and like over long distances 
so but the horse limit the the, the horse limit the horse was like the upper limit of how fast humans could yeah, go for yeah, a yeah, very yeah. very very long time probably for like many many centuries um and then all of a sudden in like the span of like 30 or 40 years we go from the speed of a horse to like spitfires and like cars and stuff that actually yeah, is that's... insane now that i'm reviewing it. i've never really thought about this history that that like that deeply. Yeah. like it's actually pretty mind-blowing and it's, just, it's now it's just it's so <laughs> it's sinking in for me this is actually it's so pedestrian the idea that you can get on a plane and travel at 800 k's an hour at thirty thousand feet or whatever at 30,000 and your your experience of doing that is just kind of sit it's like sitting in an uncomfortable armchair with dry air and everybody's and just, just sitting like, there like it's shaking no, a little it's not bit. a big deal yeah <laughs> like, just like so yeah that's it's what actually we do. it's at the point where it's really boring, it's really boring. You kind of don't in fact people don't yeah it's it's actually a bit of a nuisance <laughs> it's like damn it i have to fly to melbourne <laughs> this week <laughs> god damn it <laughs> but, but actually like i'm about to fly to melbourne and um like fly over the bass strait i'm you're just about gonna to, yeah you're about to like skip hover over bass strait at hundreds of kilometers an hour and i can look over the side and it's like yeah that's that's yeah, there's, like, there's the sea. There's the sea, and there's an entire sea. I'm moving really fast, like, and I'm really high above it. But I'll probably be sleeping, because I always fall asleep on planes. That's boring. <laughs> 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 it's like a 9 a.m. flight. I'll probably be asleep. We need a new futurism. We need something new to just scare the shit out of you. Because I'm sure if, if you could have put Marinetti in, like, QS whatever number it was, from, from Hobart to Melbourne, he would have just lost his mind. Yeah, JQ one two three, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one day I'll get on a Qantas flight. I I promise. It's a life goal. First Qantas yeah. flight, and then I. They keep go making to the moon. it more expensive though, and not improving <laughs> the service, which makes me kind of not want to do it. <laughs> I think the thing that'll blow people's minds there'll be another one of those moments, um, akin to what these guys are doing. Other than getting into like high, like high, um, what would you say, high immersion virtual reality i think that'll fucking blow mm. people's minds we'll have another marionetti running around being like what the hell <laughs> um yeah but the other thing other It'll than be that, nick land other than that will be probably like i think like um commercial flights into like low earth orbit or the moon like mm. there'll be somebody who will just be like who'll go up there on their first flight and they'll just be like this is insane like just dedicate their life to i'm gonna found an artistic yeah. movement based <laughs> on this going into into going zero to gravity futurism yeah. or microgravity futurism microgravity futurism yeah i think that'll happen there'll be somebody who'll be who'll be who'll be like that which is cool it's i'm glad we live in a world where there are certain people who are sensitive enough to dramatic shifts that most people kind of just accept yeah we just live in like an, a dynamic society most people are just like yeah a few people who who say no, no? Wait, wait a second. This is wild. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you're the, that's what you're doing <laughs> with, with your book. You're <laughs> you're going like this is crazy. <laughs> Especially with I your fourthcoming book, you're the one about the beheading. <laughs> <laughs> like live streaming auto auto self decapitation or whatever auto decapitation, live streaming that. Like, because it is completely wild that we can live stream, you know, like you jump on YouTube or whatever, there'll just be people live streaming to like hundreds of thousands of people from their home. It's mm. completely insane. <laughs> and people are just used to it. <laughs> yeah, completely used to it. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll tip this guy five bucks. <laughs> uh, okay, where were we? Where were we? Nine. We want to glorify war, the only cure for the world. Militarism, patriotism, the destructive gestures of the anarchists, the beautiful ideas which kill, and contempt for woman. I, it's not, 
It's not a true book club from Hell episode unless you just get a bit of misogyny. I like how he slides it in at the end. Yeah, and how he just um, coagulates all women into just woman. <laughs> woman. Woman. I assume, is that maybe just a translation error? Anyways, the I'm not sure. I still I'm understand sure. what he's trying to get at. <laughs> I, I was reading this one um, commentary on it that was like, oh, you know, there's like feminist futurists and, you know, like actually so we're trying to like do some hand wavy thing and explain how Marinetti wasn't actually just misogynistic. It's <laughs> like, no, nah, I think he was just nah. misogynistic. <laughs> so there, there were female futurists. It took a while for them to come in and it was always... Futurism was always like sausage dominant. It was like <laughs> sausage high, dom. high sausage density. <laughs> That's a movement. But there are a few non-sausage futurists. And the non-sausage futurists, at least one of them said, okay, it's not about men and women. It's about masculine and feminine temperaments. And everyone has a mix of these and every society has a mix of them and you need a mix of them. But the masculine is better. It's almost like an Iron Rand thing where yeah. Iron Rand was Liked like, yeah, I'm a, a woman. Yeah, but but I'm a really masculine woman. And so I don't think this is what Marinetti's saying. I think Marinetti's just saying we love war and we hold contempt for women. Mm. Like he's and we like fast cars. Clear here. And also these, but these new pills from Germany are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Is there a link between amphetamine consumption and misogyny? Oh, and like I not would, trusting women. I think I wouldn't be surprised at all if you it like something to your brain. If you gave like some sort of survey to the same dude when he's like doped up on on gacked out of yeah, his or whether he's sober, I'm sure he would give far more misogynistic answers. <laughs> <laughs> There's a there, there really is an amphetamine personality type, isn't there? Yeah, it kind of everybody sort of um converges towards the one kind of um ontologically pure form of the crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> well it's more it's I, I feel like they're they're the ontological forms as embodied by various drugs. Like there there yep. is the amphetamine. There's the amphetamine guy. Type there is which, Kiltro, which like orth right people tend to converge upon the the amphetamine ideal orth right, <laughs> but people who are more like very uh, dominator culture right, <laughs> mm, mm, they tend to like stimulants like caffeine is is a lightweight authoritarian complex drug, <laughs> but but you, you you only really get to like. The proper totalitarian shit when you go onto speed. That's <laughs> that's the, the step above. Whereas in the opposite direction is uh, actually I was going to say psychedelics, but then I know Evola and Junger both were quite interested in psychedelics, and their psychedelic experience just made them made them more right wing, made them more warlike, made them weirder. I think psychedelics just like take whatever. Spectrum you're trying to construct here, and, and take whatever in there and, and just throw it into something, multiply else. it by ten, <laughs> kick it up in order of magnitude, and then turn it on itself, and like turn it into like I don't know. You're like trying to deal with Euclidean geometry, and actually psychedelics just turn everything into like non-Euclidean. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so you get yeah. So if you gave Marinetti mushrooms, you'd get non-Euclidean contempt for women. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Got it. I understand now. <laughs> non-Euclidean. 
<laughs> yeah, and weed just makes you um like forget to do your homework. Just turns and stuff. you into a fucking vegetable. <laughs> just, and makes makes um like Nicolas Cage into a good actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes the diehard movies really good. <laughs> really good. Um okay, so point um ten. Point ten. Yeah, I think this was an issue that this thing actually caused issues with um with the fascist regime, actually, point 10. We want to demolish mm. museums and libraries, fight morality, feminism, and all opportunists and utilitarian cowardice. Yeah, I think he didn't like um, like the old architecture and stuff, right? Not just that. It, he, he talked regularly about how much he didn't like art galleries and museums, particularly the, the veneration of the past that they entail. He saw the past as this dead thing and immersion in the past could only sap your vitality because all your vitality should be oriented towards creating a new future. Whereas focusing too much on the past made all of, all of that energy just go towards trying to revitalise dead forms. And so, yeah, he, he, he and other futurists regularly said that you should just get rid of muse- museums get rid of art galleries. I think he at some point said if you just go once a year and it's almost like paying respect to the dead or to your ancestors, that's okay. Like that's an acceptable way to interact with the past. But beyond that, you you should just get rid of them. And he, of course, just throws in, yeah, feminism too. Don't like it. Don't like <laughs> feminism. <laughs> I like the, it's pretty hard to make the case that he's points- not misogynistic. <laughs> <laughs> Points 9 and 10, I really, really like. (laughs) He'll have the like, yeah, we love war, we don't like museums, and then he just slips in at the end. Oh, no, contempt for women. (laughs) This is important. Put that in there. He just didn't quite know where else to put it, so he's like, oh, we'll just put it with the war stuff. It is interesting, too, that um, he and quite a few other people who were associated particularly with fascism just did not like utilitarianism. They saw it as base demotic, completely lacking in any sort of higher purpose. No substance to it. That's definitely a, a pattern I've observed with, I wouldn't call them woo-woo right, because, you know, that's Evola, but non-woo-woo right people too. But any sort of right which also emphasises a spiritual dimension or some sort of higher purpose than comfort mm. really, mm. really dislikes utilitarianism. Yeah, and I and I probably like... Yeah, and I guess those would be the people on the right who also probably don't care that much about the libertarian ideas as well. Yeah, well, they'll see freedom as the freedom to do what you're supposed to do. (laughs) What your (laughs) class assigned at birth dictates you do for the rest of your life. As the carpenter's son, you are a carpenter. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, okay, what have we got? We've got point 11. You've got number 11. We will sing of the great crowds agitated by work, pleasure and revolt, the multicoloured and polyphonic surf of revolutions in modern capitals, the nocturnal vibration of the arsenals and the workshops beneath their violent electric moons, the gluttonous railway stations devouring smoking serpents, factories suspended from the clouds by the thread of their smoke, bridges with the leap of gymnasts flung across the diabolic cutlery of sunny rivers, adventurous steamers sniffing the horizon, great-breasted locomotives 
puffing on the rails like enormous steel horses with long tubes for bridle, and the guiding flight of airplanes whose propeller sounds like the flapping of a flag and the applause of enthusiastic crowds. Um, this is not, you know, it's not, not a, a concrete recommendation like having contempt for women here. This is more technology and change are really cool, aren't they? Which is not. I still think having, having an appreciation for some of the really crazy stuff happening in your life is, is cool. It means you're paying attention. So I, I like that. I generally don't understand why he like shoehorned in this contempt for women thing. He's like got all that. <laughs> that felt very out of place. It's just like you've got all this other stuff like war and the future and speed and stuff, and then he's just like, and fuck women. <laughs> like, when yeah. did, where did this even come from? It's like completely unnecessary thing to put in. But I, I, he's being an artist, true to his form, authentic, true to form. Um, yeah, yeah. He's being his authentic self. He's living his best life. <laughs> I really like factories too. Depends on the factory. Yeah, some of them are pretty uninspiring. Some of them, it's particularly, oh, these are not so much factories, but the industrial machinery around like oil refineries and things like that. Very cool. There's some really cool ones Uh, um, in, well, I've actually, I quite like the um, like ports. Some cool ones near Geelong. Like ports, you know, in Sydney, there's these enormous, enormous, enormous ports and they've got these giant machines that like lift the cargo boxes off and on cargo tankers. And these things, they must be like 10 stories high or something, these cranes or whatever. It's just incredible. Just like a feat of pure industrialization. <laughs> Let's um, stick a, a giant port on this beautiful marine reserve. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's <laughs> like, you know that endangered species? Well, we've got a factory, so <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that endangered species isn't helping me import stuff on Amazon, is it? <laughs> I have this real conflict of values where I both like animals and and like nature and stuff, and especially diving and whatnot. But I also really like like industrialization, <laughs> international shipping. <laughs> I'm like, damn, how can I have both? I want I want my endangered species, my weird fish and, and stingrays and stuff, and I want them not to get killed. <laughs> But I also want yeah. prime delivery. <laughs> I have very mixed feelings about the future. I, I feel well, one of the things that I think environmentalists get wrong about the future is they think there'll be less biodiversity. I think they're wrong about that because I think that like as soon as like Texans and stuff get their hands on like proper biotechnology for like modifying animals and stuff, we'll have more biodiversity within. <laughs> but they'll just be biodiversity created within this sphere of human culture <laughs> through, through bioengineering kind of like what we've done to so it's nick it's nick land yeah. <laughs> it's just it's kind of like it's nick land hyperspecies what, what we've done to dogs except at like like an exponentially faster rate you know where we don't have to go through the actual breeding and stuff to get the crazy outcomes <laughs> it is it's hard to tell in what direction it would go because on one hand every I can direction see, it goes in every direction jack <laughs> well because because there's such there's such a strong emphasis on mimesis. So right now, in terms of so how you dress, which is a pale imitation of what you're saying, of <laughs> of basically like expressing yourself by modifying your genome. But probably the four a forerunner of that is how you dress, your haircut, things like that. And that tends to be less an expression of 
individuality and more an an expression of belonging to a particular group. And I, like none none of this is particularly new. What I'm saying, but yeah, with genome modification, I imagine instead of having like everyone hyperspeciating, you'll probably have a <laughs> handful of types that people will just elect to go into. It's like uh, yeah, I, I want to be, like be this. Yeah, it's like I'm just going to be this, and I'm going to base my personality around this. Maybe even I just want to hunt like I base my personality around it by just altering my brain, <laughs> so that I'm physically incapable of not behaving in this particular way. It's like you know, becoming an emo kid would no longer be wearing skinny jeans, eyeliner, and listening to something. Okay, I do have a concrete thing like that, but about the future. Then, yeah. in this case, okay. No matter what happens, if things keep on happening, if if this idea of like we're at the beginning of infinity with like knowledge creation and the knowledge creation is what's driving all this novelty, then, like, um, all I can say about the future is it's going to get weird. It's going to get weirder. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It'll get weird. It'll get really weird. I I really anticipate, though, if, it's already if really you do weird. get easy, easy genome modification, you're going to have a tiny portion of the population who truly go off in, like, really wacky individual directions, and the vast majority will probably fall into, like, five different types yeah and probably it'll probably also be really heavily regulated i imagine heavily regulated and heavily corporatized (laughs) like you'll fall into a handful of different types which like you're just bombarded with advertisements for like things beamed straight into your visual cortex about how you're going to be finally happy just if you submit to this one particular type of genome modification. Be happy. Available as like a $30 a month sub- subscription service eternal, from Pfizer. Eternal happiness will modify your body, dope you up, and then like plug some stuff into your brain so that your subjective experience <laughs> is just bliss at all times. Unless you stop playing, yeah. paying your subscription, then we'll just like turn on yeah, the Yeah, and then they just wrench you out of it immediately. into like pain, pure pain and advertisements. <laughs> <laughs> you can get a discount on your monthly subscription if they can also build into you the pain organ. <laughs> it's just like a the pain organ which just pain. floods your body with excruciating pain. If you pain. don't, if you don't, if you make a decision that's not approved by the board of directors, <laughs> and they're they're quote unquote nudging you towards healthy behaviors. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you even think about like eating something with sugar in it. You just like feel excruciating pain. <laughs> just bliss. It's like cracking through your head. Yeah, well, that's 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 if you go into the like hyper optimized Andrew Huberman, Peter Atia genotype, <laughs> the one designed by them. You feel excruciating pain if you like break your your sixteen eight intermittent fasting. If you eat like at one minute to twelve noon, <laughs> you just or fall on the like ground that. writhing in pain. <laughs> just electric fire spreading through your veins. No, I broke my fast too early. <laughs> I never went catabolic. <laughs> if you dare step out of the cold plunge before you've you've had the optimum amount of time in there. It's just going to rack your body with uncontrollable pain. Yeah, all these psychos like Brian Johnson and Huberman and stuff would love that. They <laughs> just enforce perfect health on everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and then within that, you'd probably get the sub-community of people who intentionally seek out that pain because they've decided that that pain like ontologically transforms in somewhere. keeping them grounded yeah, and appreciating yeah, yeah. life. They need to be in touch with the pain <laughs> of the universe, the technological yeah, pain. yeah. So they'll they'll tweak their pain gland to just like provide them with bursts of pain each day and they'll calculate the optimum amount of excruciating pain each day to make them optimally alive. Now I can't fucking wait for 
for the optimized human beings to hit like genomic modification. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. It'd be beautiful. As long as they're also cutting off their feet and replacing them with blades. Like, can we also just get bionic as well? Like, bionic, like genome modification for the stuff that we have to do. You can already do that. Plus the bionic augmentations. You can already do the blade thing. Just imagine all the crazy stuff. The thing that I really want is I want well, one. I want eyes that work, so I, I want to stop wearing glasses. So I'm going to get my <laughs> I'm going to get my eyes lasered, anyways. Um, but like, I would really love like an actual robotic lens in inserted into my eyes. That would be really cool. It could actually like change the focal length with like a with like an app on my phone. <laughs> I want everything to look like Terminator. <laughs> yeah, and I've I got don't red care eyes. how inconvenient it'd be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just get to feel like the Terminator all the time. I don't. I don't have any of the strength or anything like that of the Terminator. It just everything just looks like Terminator. <laughs> I just want the most inconvenient aspects of the sci-fi future. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I, hmm. I know it's gonna be it's gonna be strange. It's already really strange. Like we're thirty now, and um, yeah, at the time of recording this, twenty twenty, and the world has changed quite a lot. An alarming degree. Like I remember, like, I remember getting the internet. I, I get flashbacks to like Neopets and stuff sometimes. You know, like Neopets yeah. or like what was that like Habbo Hotel and Runescape and stuff like those early days of like online games. Runescape's still around. Yeah, Runescape's still it's great. Huge still, it's like, um, and uh, what was that other one? Oh yeah, like the first time using like MSN Messenger and stuff. Mm. And now they they probably wouldn't have thought like. Yeah, we could stream like somebody from their home to a hundred thousand people in like 1080p, that sort of stuff. Yeah, in a, almost real time. And, yeah, almost real time, and then have them like like an entire server of people just like chatting back to them in real time, um, and sending transactions as well because this was back in the day before there was transactions online, like online payments and stuff. Yeah, so like the world's changed so much, even in just like the short amount of time we've been alive. That's why I just want to stay alive because I just want to see where this thing goes. Mm. I was thinking like last night, like if this is the beginning of infinity, then like no matter how long you live, even if you live 100 years or 1,000 years, you're only going to see an instance which is infinitesimally small in the span of mm. like the entire future of human civilization. And we don't know what that looks like. It's just so mind-blowing. <laughs> I just want to stick around. I'm just hoping they make tower into a real thing. That there's actually a planet with tower, with tower on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's slowly growing towards us. <laughs> it's going to hit Earth and incorporate us. Oh, man, that would be cool. <laughs> it just starts like, <laughs> it's first it's like panspermia. It's just like shooting objectified at us. <laughs> <laughs> to spread it to spread the tower to the rest of the, to the, rest of the galaxy. <laughs> That'd be good. That's the future. Um. With the Futurist Manifesto, there's other stuff. He has this lot. He has more paragraphs of prose again. So we finished reading through like the the eleven points of the manifesto, and then there's more prose after that. A lot of it is him firing shots at museums and calling them like funeral urns, cemeteries. He spends a lot of time actually talking about how much he doesn't like museums, and then goes back to talking about how much he likes cars and planes. Probably don't have that much more to say about this specifically i'm interested i would be interested if there have been things like this in various forms but if there were a futurist manifesto written today and the eonic futurist manifesto doesn't count but if there were a futurist manifesto written today what sort of things they would be going wild over 
And I imagine a lot of it would be, as we've mentioned, about the internet and about information technology. We've gotten so used to things like cars and planes, but, and actually, particularly people who were born after the advent of the internet, the internet and modern telecommunications, we're pretty used to those things, but still every now and then something breaks through like ChatGPT, which gets people really excited because it seems so novel. I reckon probably AI will be a, a feature of your, whatever form the next futurist manifesto comes in because you regularly do have manifestos or artistic movements that take inspiration from, from large-scale changes taking place in society around you know, the, the author of the respective manifesto. I imagine AI, and particularly generative AI, will probably be featuring pretty heavily in those things coming in the future. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's also biotech. I know it's always been like, oh, it's just on the horizon, genomic modification um, in vivo. But if that really does get off the ground, then that'll definitely be a major component of, of future futurist manifestos. It's just what sort of art would be inspired by that. With genome modification, you imagine the art in large part would probably just be people's bodies. Yeah, or I imagine that would be the medium. Yeah, because people, people are already trying that yeah. now. People get really, really into cosmetic surgery, but this would be another level, a whole other level. You could also do things like this is presuming we or assuming that we would know enough about how the brain works, but supposing we had enough knowledge about how the brain functions modifying your brain to give you new thoughts like the ability to to have thoughts that would not be available previously and then create art on the basis of that you could also modify yourself to have additional senses like expand the visible spectrum of light and make art based that'd on be that. really cool i think new art based on um once we have a theory of qualia <laughs> for the people mm, for the people art. for the people who <laughs> Ask, ask me sometimes well, what the fuck is qualia qualia is like the specific contents of like your subjective experience like say the redness of a rose or like the smell of like a particular odor like if you actually if you pay attention to your subjectivity you'll notice that it's made up of a bunch of like things those are your qualia <laughs> um quale an individual quality. Um, so, uh, yeah, like once we have a theory of qualia and presumably like if we can then develop an engineering discipline around new qualia, <laughs> that would be cool because then we would literally be able to create things and experiences that nobody today, literally like nobody can today can imagine. <laughs> like it's physically impossible yeah. for us to imagine. Because we have, I think art to an extent indirectly tries to do that anyway in that the artist yeah. has some particular feeling in their head and they try to create something to convey that to someone else. But this could be more like, more direct in that you know exactly what the subjectivity of the beholder would be. Well, no, no, you're thinking way, way too human. I'm thinking about, like, for example, mm. like, um, you know, like these, like these um, lobsters and stuff that have, like, 16 different, like, <laughs> pigments in their eyes and they can see like, all these different <laughs> colours. I want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're thinking about like empathy and shit, man. I, I want to see lobster eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, isn't it like the the emperor shrimp, like the trigger, trigger shrimp, shrimp, or something, yeah, something like, like that. that? Oh, the peacock, the peacock mantis shrimp. That's right. The peacock mantis shrimp has like sixteen oh, okay. different. 
they're fucking <laughs> ugly, but they're cool. No, they're, I know they're, they're beautiful. They're in, in their own way. I mean, you want to go on a date with one in their own yeah. way. Do they just look like a bug? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think all crustaceans. Yeah, are ugly, it, just, so. it just it looks like a a rainbow bug. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty cool. Yeah, they'll fucking like snap your finger off as big, well, though. Big googly eyes. Don't touch them. <laughs> um, I want to read something at the end of the episode. <laughs> something just came in, but if if we're still talking about the text, then yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, if there's it. any, unless we're going to talk about the futurist manifesto more, but uh, we just received uh, we just received an email um, from uh, a very nice sounding lady who's asked us to include a book on on our Christmas gift guide, and it's called Baby Dragon Finds His Family <laughs> by Cheryl Bass. And it's good that you check the emails because I don't really. And it says we could interview Cheryl, and um, I don't think she would like. I I have a feeling that they they haven't actually listened listened to the the show show because shout out to Cheryl. It says, "Have you listened?" It says um, in an interview, Cheryl could discuss um, social emotional learning and why it is important to teach it to children. (laughs) Pros and cons of self publishing, (laughs) um, the benefits of rhyme for young readers. I don't think she's ever listened to the podcast. So shout out to Cheryl. Look, I mean, if, if she's serious, she can come on. I just, I'm not sure she's actually listened to that. Like legitimately, she can come on and uh, best of luck with her. her Welcome to come on, Cheryl. Baby if dragon finds just, his family. That's that's the future. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be unpleasant. I just, I don't know how to... I just don't know what to say to someone who's writing like a normal, book. a normal children's book, <laughs> like normal, just, a just like to teach them nice wholesome if, lessons. If to you a don't, kid. if you don't have fascism, if someone's not talking about drinking their own piss, <laughs> if there's not just like shoehorned in misogyny or anti-Semitism or like religious fanaticism, I'm too institutionalized by the book club from hell. I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> institutionalized by the book club from hell, just like just can't relate <laughs> to just a nice wholesome children's book books. author. Just wants to come in here and teach kids how to how to how to like to empathize about emotional well-being. <laughs> Talk to Jack and Levi. <laughs> Shout out to Cheryl. <laughs> go buy her new book. Yeah, big, big shout out to Cheryl. I admire the the go getter attitude of just trying to get on podcasts. You can come on if you want. I'm just not sure if we're the right people to be interviewing you. <laughs> like our first, our first author interview here isn't Jack. It's just a children's book I mean, it would be, be, really be a perhaps from a meta perspective, a funny episode if we interviewed her and just played it completely straight. <laughs> It'd be extremely meta. Ah, oh, fuck it, let's try and get her on. <laughs> I'll reply. <laughs> I'm just not sure who in our audience would would buy the book. It's, some of our listeners have kids. Yeah, I mean, I feel like our audience could give do a, with some a, a social emotional learning. What was the name of the book again? Give a shout out to her book. Baby Dragon Eddie. Finds His Family by Cheryl Bass. Cheryl Cheryl Bass, B-A-S-S. Cheryl Bass. She, and she's published yeah. she published another one about Chihuahuas going on adventures. She looks like a really fucking lovely person, a very normal, sure, well-adjusted person. It's a children's book. Yeah. I'm sure she's just a normal, well-adjusted person. I'm sure she's extremely nice. Yeah, so shout out to Cheryl. If any of you have yeah. children, go and check out her book. <laughs> Shout out to Crusader of Trees. <laughs> Haven't heard from Crusader of Trees in a while. Has he? He's disappeared. Yeah. Oh no. 
did he have to have a break? Oh, and shout out to Hans. He was on a voice call with Hans and he started talking about his pheromones. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I'm not sure that Cheryl <laughs> is the right fit for this audience. <laughs> You've got to start somewhere. She's starting literally at yeah. the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> She's like, all right. It's just, I, I found. I don't know if there's good product market fit. I found a thousand podcasts. That are book related, and this one has the least number of book views. <laughs> this is at the bottom. I'll start there. Just start from the bottom, climb up. <laughs> I mean, she she did make a bad decision in that we will have her on for an interview if she really wants, and we will be nice if we ever actually interview another author outside of just us two. Like, I will be nice, <laughs> just be mean to them. Um, unless it's Don Paris. The best way to attract to attract more authors is just to be like intentionally antagonistic, bring them on, just try to humiliate <laughs> them. They love that. There's there's no way we wouldn't get more attention. We if could we like did that. between two ferns the shit out of them. Be really uncomfortable. Between two internet edge lords. Yeah. Um do you have anything else? Oh yeah, would you recommend the Futurist Manifest? It's four pages, so yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. It's just, it's such a small time commitment. It's kind of cool thinking about just how incredible a lot of engineering is. And it, if, if you think about it within that historical context, it can give you some sort of sense of how wild technology is. So it's cool in that perspective. Yeah, I think a lot of futurist art looks cool. It's historically I can't say I've read any, I haven't read any sound poems. So I, I can't comment on how good those are, but if you're interested in this sort of thing yeah fine give it a shot there's a sort of a lukewarm recommendation from me it's more just a default i think i'll recommend anything that's under like 10 pages that's just a matter of yeah it's like, it, it will take you 15 minutes to read if you go slowly so cool well thanks for thanks for listening i hope your future thanks is weird shout out to cheryl <laughs>